today I want to preach about the resurrection of Jesus. That's what I want to talk about. The resurrection of Jesus. In the Gospel of John, chapter 20, beginning with the 19th verse, this is actually that resurrection night. This is the night that Jesus had been raised. John chapter 20, verse 19, here's what God's Word says. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Amen. There is something in the medical world, something in the scientific world that they call the Lazarus effect. Call it the Lazarus syndrome. That's their way of describing somebody who died, declared dead by a doctor or declared dead by a coroner. And then not long after that, they come back to life. They call it the, the Lazarus effect because you know Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And these persons would have died, been declared dead, and without mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation, without CPR, uh, their heart begins to beat again and blood begins to circulate and, and they alive. And since 1982, there have been 85 documented cases of somebody who died and then with, with self-resuscitation came back to life. Now, I'm bringing this up not because I think they're equal with Jesus. Jesus has no equal. I searched all over, couldn't find nobody. Nobody greater than Jesus. He, he has no equal. There their self-resuscitation is not equal with Jesus' resurrection. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins and God raised him from the dead, it's so unique that even those 85 people can't compare with that because those 85 people that came back to life, you know, some of them have already died again. And the rest of them will die again. But when God raised Jesus from the dead, the Apostle John says, he's alive forevermore. There is no equal with Jesus. There have been people who have started religions. There have been religious leaders in the world who have died and stayed dead. Buddha died, he's still dead. Zoroaster died, he's still dead. Confucius died, he's still dead. Muhammad died, he's still dead. But when Jesus died for our sins, Three days later, God raised him from the dead, and he's alive forevermore. But I bring that Lazarus effect, that Lazarus syndrome up, 
because there are those who say they don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus because it's a biological impossibility. That they refuse to believe in the resurrection of Jesus because they say it's a scientific impossibility that nobody can die and then be alive after that. Well, there's 85 accounts of that. And if God would allow those 85 people to come back, how much more shall he do for his only begotten son? And I want us to understand that the resurrection of Jesus is real. I want us to understand the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. It is not, it's not some allegory. It's not some metaphor. It's not some illustration that, y'all, Jesus did die and literally he was raised from the dead. That physically he was raised from the dead. That actually he was raised from the dead. There is the resurrection of Jesus. The Apostle Paul writes to the believers at Corinth about it. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as he's explaining the resurrection, he explains the resurrection in the light of the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15 and 3, he says that I deliver unto you the gospel that uh, Christ did die according to the scripture. In verse 4 he said, and he was buried. Still in verse 4, and according to the scriptures, uh, he was raised from the dead. That's the gospel. Christ died, was buried, and raised. And in 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul spent a half a verse talking about the death of Jesus. He spent less time than that on the burial of Jesus. But then he spent 50 plus verses on the resurrection of Jesus. Because the power is in the resurrection. Y'all, the resurrection changes everything. We, we celebrate Good Friday. Good Friday? They whipped Jesus. They beat Jesus. That's a bad Friday. They nailed him to the cross. That's a bad Friday. Put a spear in his side. That's a bad Friday. They buried Jesus. That's a bad Friday. But after the resurrection, that's why we call it a good Friday because the resurrection changes everything. And when you understand the resurrection and believe in the resurrection and operate in the fact that the resurrection is real, it'll change your bad and have stuff working out for your good. And when Paul was writing about it, he says when Jesus was raised from the dead, he was seen by Cephas, then he was seen by uh, the 12 disciples, then he was seen by 500 people at one time. Then he was uh, seen by, uh, he said, the, the apostles. Then he said, and he was seen by me. And matter of fact, there were 11 occurrences recorded in Scripture of the appearance of the resurrected Christ. Over and over again, it shows us that Jesus was raised from the dead. And in those 11 occurrences that we read about in Scripture, uh, some, some of the appearances of Jesus in, in his resurrected body was in the daytime, some was at night. Some was to individuals, and then some were to crowds. Some were to men, and some were to women. And all of that is significant because if it had just been folk talking about, I saw the resurrected Jesus in the daytime, somebody would say, well, it's 120 degrees in Israel. 
maybe the element, the sun messed with their mind. They didn't really see that. But they saw him at night too. Had it just been at night, they may have said, well, that's misidentity. That's somebody that looked like him. But no, they saw him in the daytime and the night. If it had just been individuals, they would have said, well, you know, some folk want us to believe Jesus was raised from the dead. They're making that up. But he was seen by a whole crowd of 500 at the same time. Had it had just been the crowd, they would have said, that's, that's crowd hysteria. That, that's, that's mob hysteria that they didn't see. But it was by individuals and crowds. Had it just been men, then somebody would have said, well, they're overanalyzing, they're overthinking this, and you know that there were men that, that wanted Jesus to be alive, so they're making this up. Had it just been women, they would have said, well, you know how mostly tied women were to Jesus, but no, it was men and women, it was day and night, it was individuals and crowds, because Jesus did get up from the dead. Then what should be our response then? Since we know Jesus was raised from the dead, how should that impact our thinking? What should be our response to the resurrection? How should we live? How should we talk? How should we act? How should we behave since we know that God raised Jesus from the dead? Well, this is resurrection night. Jesus was actually raised Sunday morning. The women were the first ones uh, to realize that Jesus had been raised from the dead because they went to that where Jesus was buried in a cave with a stone in front of it. And the women went there early that Sunday morning while it was still dark. And they didn't go there looking for a resurrected Christ. They went there to finish the burial process of Jesus because Jesus died on Friday. Well, the Sabbath starts Friday evening. The Sabbath day is all day Saturday. So they couldn't work on that Friday evening and Saturday. They waited till the Sabbath was over. And they went to finish the burial process of Jesus, but when they got there, they saw the stone had been rolled away and the body of Jesus was gone and his grave clothes had been folded and laying there. And there was a messenger that said, I know who you're looking for, but I don't know why you're looking for the living among the dead. He's risen as he, I wish I had some Bible readers in here. He's risen as he said he would. And then those women went to tell the disciples that Jesus was raised from the dead and not one disciple initially believed in the resurrection of Jesus, not one, when they heard the women's message about Christ being raised, they didn't believe. Matter of fact, they got together that Sunday night. Jesus was raised in the morning. The disciples got together that Sunday night. Well, 10 of them did. Judas had already committed suicide. We don't know where Thomas was. But the 10 got together in this house in John 20. And when they got together, they got together out of fear. And the text says that the doors were locked and they locked themselves in out of fear. Well, the fear was this. They had been walking with Jesus for three years. And if they got Jesus on Thursday, they'll be back to get us before the weekend is over. So they're hiding in this house out of fear. And then Jesus shows up. Remember now, the door is locked, and Jesus shows up on the other side of the locked door. And when they were in the presence of the resurrected Christ, it says that they were glad there was joy there in the presence of Jesus. I wish y'all were getting this. How should we respond to the resurrection? We ought to make our way into the presence of Jesus and have some joy. And nothing had changed, y'all. 
the, the, the Hebrew people were still under Roman oppression. They were still dealing with, with, with government corruption and still dealing with religious corruption, still dealing with the lives of the people. Nothing had changed. There was still poverty throughout Israel. The only difference was Jesus had been raised from the dead. And when they recognized and believed that Jesus was raised from the dead, they had joy despite everything that was going on because they were in the presence of Jesus. That's what I'm trying to get across to us today. It's not enough just to be in his place. You ought to be in his presence. A lot of people with regularity come to the place of the Lord. That ain't enough. You need to enter into the presence of the Lord. And, and, and it's different in being in the place and in his presence. Remember the Apostle Paul told the believers at Corinth, I got caught up to the third heaven. Of course, the third heaven is where the throne of God is. But when he was talking about getting caught up to the third heaven, I don't think he was just talking about the place where God was. I think he was talking about the presence of God. I don't think it was about location. I think it was about dimension. He got caught up. When, when I was a youngster growing up in church, then somebody would start shouting. And then you hear somebody say, well, they got caught up. And we need a few more folk that'll get caught up. It ain't about location, it's dimension. It's not just at his place, it's at his presence. Because some of us are in the place, but ain't in his presence. Because you can have two people leave the same house at the same time, come in the same vehicle, pull up at the same church, sit on the same pew, hear the same song, same prayer, same sermon. One is in the presence of God, and the other is nowhere in the neighborhood. I don't know why y'all ain't saying amen to this. Because for some of y'all, your body's here with me, but your mind is on the other side of town. But we got to learn how to get into the presence of Jesus. And I love this because the door was locked, and Jesus got on the other side of a locked door. That's what the resurrection is all. We serve a God that can get on the other side of locked doors. Locked doors don't bother Jesus. And black folk, we ought to be shouting with all the locked doors we've had to experience living in America because of the color of our skin with Jim Crow laws and Jane Crow laws and legal segregation. Ain't no such thing now as legal segregation, but we still got segregation and doors are still closed because of the color of our skin. But when you know the resurrected Christ, locked doors don't bother him. The apostle John says he can open doors that can't nobody close. And grandma said he can close doors that can't nobody open. When you got Jesus, matter of fact, somebody can testify, you've been able to go through doors, you weren't even qualified. But because you had the resurrected Christ, you were still able to get in places. And, and, and I was, when I was looking at this and it talked about he got on the other side of that locked door, and I know he's in his resurrected body. He said, look at my hands and look at the hole in my, he's in his resurrected body. And I was trying to figure out how did he get on the other side of this locked door? And so I'm reading all these commentaries and listening to all these theologians and trying to get insight from scholars about how did Jesus get on the other side of the locked door? And then I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, Jeffrey Johnson, you don't need to be worrying about how he got on the other side of the locked door. Just be concerned with that he got on the other side of the locked door. Because some of us can testify, I can't explain to this day how I did it, but I can't explain that I did it because locked doors don't bother Jesus. 
And I know some of y'all not saying amen because you deal with locked doors every day. And if locked doors don't bother Jesus and I, and, and I believe in the resurrection, then how come this like, I'll, I'll explain it like this. I used, to, I used to preach in Daytona Beach every year. The first week in December, every year, Bishop Derek Triplett would invite me to his church for a week at his church every year. And he's not the pastor there anymore. I don't know what's wrong with this new pastor. He ain't brought me back since the bishop left. Anyway. He would have me stand out at the beach. The beach, Daytona Beach is like 23 miles. He had me stand at the Sheridan, nice hotel. But these, there, there are no skyscrapers in Daytona Beach. It's a little city. And so I'm at the top floor of the Sheridan at the beach. It's, it's the fourth floor. And I ain't sweating at sunrise. And I'm praising God every morning. I'm, I'm, I know there's a God somewhere. Look at how beautiful this place is. And then one year after I finished preaching there for a week, the very next week, I was in Atlanta, Georgia for a revival, and I didn't come back to India. I went straight from Daytona Beach to Atlanta, Georgia. Now, in Atlanta, they got skyscrapers there, and I was staying at the Hyatt Hotel, Hyatt Regency downtown, and when I tell you that's a nice hotel, matter of fact, I was on the 55th floor. That's where my room was. I went from that low-down place, and now I'm on the 55th floor. I'm at a whole nother level now. So I check into the hotel, and the woman gives me the key. Here's the room that's reserved for you. And, and she gives me the key. I stick it in my pocket, and I grab all this luggage. I got all this luggage because this is two weeks away from ending. And I take all that luggage, and I get on the elevator, and I go up to the 55th floor. I get to the door that, that has been reserved in my name. This is the door. I, this is my room. I take out that key, and I, I stick that magnetic key in that lock. And the re- and a red light came on. I'm trying to get in, but the door is locked. And I try it again the second time. I stick that key in, and a red light. I still try to do it. I do it. A th- I keep doing this to the point of insanity. Because if you keep doing the same thing over and over, and you expect a different outcome, you crazy. So I'm at the point of insanity, and the door won't open. Now I'm mad because I done took all these bags and brought them up here. Now I got to take all these bags back down 55 floors. And then get my key coded correctly. And then come back up the elevator carrying all these bags. And so I was, I was righteously indignant. And I let that woman know. It was the same woman that checked me in. I said, ma'am, I hogged all these, these, these bags upstairs. And now I had to come back down. I got to take them back up. All because you gave me a key that won't unlock the door to the room that has my name on it. And she was very apologetic. She said, Mr. Johnson, I am so sorry just hand me the key, let me recode the key, and then we'll get you in your room. And so I handed her the key, and she looked at it and said, Mr. Johnson, this ain't even a key to our hotel. I said, ma'am, I am so sorry. That's, that's where I was last week. That's, that's from my past. That's when I was low down. I ain't low down no more. I'm at a whole nother level now. I needed another key. Here's why I'm bringing that up. Because some of us still live in low-down lives and low-life situations because you don't know you got the resurrection now. You got the resurrection of Jesus. He's a master key. He can open. you still thinking it's your education. It's your networking. Somebody going to hook you up. The only hookup you need is a holy hookup from Jesus because he can open. Do I have a witness in here? He can open doors. You got to get in his presence. How should I respond to the resurrection of Jesus? Jesus said, peace be unto you. Peace be unto you? That's what we need, peace. And the peace, uh, the, the, the peace about God, 
Peace from God is peace with God and peace of God. Peace with God. The Apostle Paul says that because of sin, we were, we had, there was enmity between us and God. Enmity. We were the enemies of God. We were at war with God. The wages of sin is death. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all deserve to die. That's why Jesus died on the cross for us, to pay the penalty for our sin. It should have been us, but it's a substitutional death. He took our place, and Paul said, before all that happened, there was enmity between us and God. We were the enemies of God. We were at war with God. But now, because of Jesus, we have peace with God. That's what happens when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and, and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Now you have peace with God, but you don't just have peace with God. You also get the peace of God. Pastor, what is the peace of God? That means whatever is going on around you, all hell could be breaking loose around you. But inside of you, there is calmness. There is coolness. There is collectiveness because you got peace with God, the peace of God. Some of us got the peace with God, but evidently you don't know you got peace of God. He'll guard your heart and mind whose mind is stayed on Jesus. He'll give you peace that surpasses all human understanding. You don't have to be depressed. You don't have to be down. You don't have to be dismayed. You don't have to live your life in despair because the God I serve when all hell is breaking loose around you, God will give peace inside of you. That's why some of y'all, y'all friends are wondering, why have you not lost your mind in all that's been going on the last two years? Because you got the peace of God. And then Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. How should I respond to the resurrection? I need to be receptive to God's Holy Spirit. I don't, I don't just want to be in his presence. I want his presence in me. The Holy Spirit. Yo, uh, here's what the Bible teaches us. Don't you know that your body is the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? The Bible says, for those of us who are Christians, You've already been baptized into the body of Christ. Baptized, baptizo, submerged, emerged into the body of Christ. That means when you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you are now in Jesus because you've been baptized by the Spirit into Jesus. But Jesus is now in you because the Holy Spirit has moved inside of you. And when you submit to the will of the Holy Spirit, when you give in to the will of God's Holy Spirit, now you're filled with the Spirit, you're controlled by the Spirit, you're influenced with the Spirit. Yo, and that way, now you don't have to run around with a bunch of fear in your life because now you know I got the peace of God, I got the power of God's Holy Spirit, and I know He can handle anything I'm going through. That's based on your faith in the resurrection. The fear somebody you're experiencing right now, that fear has pushed out your faith. But when you start building your faith, that'll push out your fear. Faith and fear are mutually exclusive. They can't live in the same place at the same time. So when you start inviting fear in, it starts pushing your faith out. 
But when you're in the presence of Jesus and you got the peace of Jesus and you got the power of God's Holy Spirit and you start building your faith off what Jesus said, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, then that faith begins to push your fear out because now you understand because of the resurrection and the power of God's Holy Spirit, there's nothing that God can't do for you. Here's what the Bible says. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. The same spirit, that, that's the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. He's living inside of you. Y'all, you, you ought to have joy. You ought to be glad. You ought to be able to shout this morning no matter what you're going through because now you understand that no matter how big your problem is, your problem ain't bigger than the day of Jesus. And since your problem is not bigger than the day of Jesus, God has already proven he can handle that problem. Okay, y'all ain't saying amen. Your problem's not bigger than the dead Jesus. That's, that's Christ who came to bring salvation. Now, he's dying on the cross. That's a big problem. And I'm not trying to belittle your problem. I'm, I know you got issues and challenges, but it ain't bigger than the dead Jesus. Okay, now take him off the cross, put him in a cave, and roll a huge stone in front of the cave. Now the problem just got bigger. Okay, y'all still ain't getting with this. Put the king's seal on the stone to indicate if anybody mess with this, then you're going to be dead like Jesus is. Now the problem just got bigger. Now put guards in front of the tomb. So if anybody mess with it, you got to deal with these guards. The problem just got bigger. But three days after all of that, God raised Jesus from the dead. And that proves whatever you and I are facing, God can handle that. Because if he can raise a dead Jesus, he can raise you above the deadness you're facing in your life. Um, oh, I, on Good Friday, on Good Friday, I was preaching, of course, with six other preachers, seven last sayings of Jesus. One of the preachers was Pastor Michael Johnson. Pastor John, Dr. Michael Johnson. Now, Dr. Michael Johnson used to, um, he used to be the youth pastor at our church. Now he pastors his own church. Been there a decade now, 10 years. And he, when, he, when he was preaching, he was so powerful, but he told the story about his five-year-old son had been playing with this, this tablet, this, this electronic tablet, and playing games with it and, and manipulating it and, and using it and misusing it to the point that it died. And when it died, Pastor Johnson said that he didn't plug it in that night. Then the next day comes, his son wants to play with it again. And he's telling his son, no, you can't play with it because it's dead. It died. And his son said, yes, I can. I know how to still get it on, five years old, even though it's dead. And his son was able to do that because it had died but still had power. So I went and researched it and looked it up. And those that created that tablet figured out a way that even if it dies, it can still have power. And I began to think, if the creators of a tablet have enough wherewithal to make it so and design it that it can still have power even after it dies, how much more shall our Heavenly Father with His only begotten Son that when He died, He still had power? Because when He died, that was in His humanity. But because He still got divinity, He still got power. Matter of fact, 
when Jesus was raised from the dead, he said, all power in heaven and in earth is in my hand. All I'm trying to tell you is there's a certain way we ought to be living because Jesus was raised from the dead. Let me give you one more and I'm done. And that's the revelation that we receive from the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus in that resurrection reveals some things to his disciples and to you and I. Now, remember, it's 10 of them in the house now. They locked in. Jesus showed up on the other side of the locked door. And they see his hands and, his, and the hole in his side. And they, they start shouting. They get glad. They have joy. Well, Thomas was not there. So when they left the house, they went and found Thomas. And they told Thomas, they said, Jesus is alive, just like the women said, that God raised Jesus from the dead. We saw him. And here's what Thomas said. Thomas said, I'm not going to believe it till I see it for myself. Now, here's what he said. I won't believe that Jesus is raised from the dead till I could take my finger and stick it in the hole that the nails left in his hand and take my hand and stick it in the hole that the spear left in his side when the soldier stuck that spear in Jesus. And until I could stick my finger in the hole in his hand and my hand in the hole in his side, I'm not going to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Well, they all got back together. And when they got back together, Jesus showed up again. And he knew all that smack that Thomas had been talking. So when Jesus came in the room, he said to Thomas, take your finger, stick it in the holes in my hand. He said, take your hand, stick it in the hole in my side. And I don't know if Thomas did all that, but I do know Thomas' response was this. He said, my Lord and my God, Jesus said, you believe because you see. Blessed are those that haven't seen and still believe. But Jesus revealed some things in that resurrection. And the reason why we get to know he's Lord and God is because Jesus showed his scars in his hand and in his side. And when he showed his scars, they said, this is the Lord. This is God. But that's when he showed his scars. And, and one thing I know, I grew up in the church. I was telling somebody yesterday, I gave my life to Christ when I was a teenager. I was 13 years old. I believed Jesus died on the cross and God raised him from the dead. Best decision I ever made. But I was in church long before that. My mama made me go to church. I was in church before I knew I was in church. Here's what I know about church folk. Church folk are reluctant to show their scars. Matter of fact, we hide our scars. That's why we so dressed up on Sunday, because I don't want y'all to see my scars, because scars tell a story. The scars speak of the pain from my past and the hurt from my past. And, and scars are not just physical either. You got psychological scars. You got emotional scars. And some of us right now, we hiding our scars. But we don't want folk to know I've been betrayed by friends. We don't want folk to know I've been denied by those close to me. We don't want folk to know I've been stabbed in my back, that I've been left hanging. So we come to church and hide our scar. No wonder folk don't really know who Jesus is because we won't show our scars. Y'all got to get this. But Jesus showed his scar. Now here's the reason we won't show our scars because there's a faulty, wrong theology that believes if you got scars like that, 
then something's wrong with your Christianity. Here's what they say. You can't really be a son of God or a daughter of God. You can't really be a child of God because God would not have allowed you to go through all of that if you were really his child. I said, that's a faulty theology. That's a messed up theology. That's wrong. Just because you go through issues and trials don't mean that you have missed God. We're trying to hide our scars because we're trying to prove I'm God's child because I ain't been through nothing. Jesus said, no, I'm going to prove I'm God's son by showing you my scars because who else would have been able to bounce back from what I just went through except I am the son of, oh, y'all ain't getting this thing. To be nailed like that, to be lied on like that, to be talked about like that, to die like that, and then come back from that, he must be the son of God. Y'all, your scars do not disprove your, your, your relationship with God. Matter of fact, all the hell you've been through and you survived, that's proof you are God's child. Somebody else went through the same hell and jumped off a bridge. Somebody else lost the same job and turned to drugs and alcohol. Somebody else went through the same divorce and was suicidal. And here you are in the house of God, giving God praise, honor, and glory. You must be a child of God. Do I have a witness in here? I got to close. I got to, let me get, here it is. He revealed, what did he reveal? He said, he said, he said, my Lord, my God. And then Jesus said to him, you believe this because you see it. Blessed are those that haven't seen it and still believe it. I believe Jesus was talking about you and I because we didn't have the privilege like the disciples to walk with Jesus for three years in the flesh and to see the holes in his hand and the hole in his side in the flesh. We weren't able to see it. He said to Thomas, you believe it because you see it. Blessed are those in the 21st century. Blessed are those at Eastern Star Church. Blessed are the Christians in modern day world that haven't seen it, but still believe it. And I know I got somebody in here that can testify, you believe Jesus died. You believe God raised him from the dead. You believe in the resurrection. And that's a blessing that comes. Okay, I, I, I'll close like this. I'll close it like this. Um, this was, oh, 2016, 2016, Golden State Warriors uh, went 73 and 9 in the NBA. Nobody has, has done that before. Nobody. They won more games that year in 2016 than any team in the history of the NBA. They went 73 and 9, won the Western Conference Finals, and then ended up going to the finals, and played against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Y'all remember that? And they went up, the Warriors went, this is, I mean, this is when they had a healthy Draymond Green and a healthy Klay Thompson and a healthy Steph Curry in their prime. They won more games than anybody that year, made it to the final. Now they're up three games to one against the Cleveland Cavaliers. And nobody has ever come back from being down Three games to one. All they had to do was win one more game. And nobody in Cleveland's situation in the history of the NBA has ever come back after having three defeats like that. And, and all the experts said, there's no way Cleveland is going to win. There's no way they're going to get the victory. That's never been done before. All the uh, analysts said it. 
all the sports commentators said it, but I guess they forgot Cleveland had King James on their team. I'm talking about a healthy King James in his prime. And not only did they win the next game, but Cleveland won the next three games and ended up getting the victory. And the reason why they were able to get the victory is because they said, we believe. Y'all forgot what happened that year. They just kept saying, we believe. Down three to one, we believe. Banners that said, we believe. And then they had in the locker room, we believe. They had t-shirts on, we believe. Matter of fact, they wrote a song that said, we believe. Down three to one, but they, nobody else believed it, but they believed it. And because they had King James on their team, and because they believed, that's how they were able to get the victory. Pastor, why are you telling us that story? Because some of y'all have been living defeated lives, and folk have told you it's over, it's done, there's nothing that can happen, there's no way you can come back from that. But I'm trying to tell you, if you got the king on your team, and you believe, you can still get the victory. I ain't talking about King James, I'm talking about King Jesus. He's Lord of Lords. He's King of Kings. Is there anybody that still believes he can make a way out of no way? Somebody give him glory in him. Down at the cross where my Savior died. Downward from cleansing, from sin I cried. There to my heart was the blood applied. I'm singing glory to his name. I am so wondrously safe from sin. Jesus so sweetly abides within there at the cross where he took me in. Somebody shout glory. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Then give God glory in him. Hey, hey.